0: Welcome to Disruptors, the podcast for bright sparks fueled by great ideas that have changed the world. In each episode, we chat with some of the most innovative disruptors from our community at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We discover how they've used their entrepreneurial skills to develop their ideas for their business ventures, tested those ideas and compelled others to do the same. Hi everybody and welcome back to Disruptors. My name is Rachel Stocky. I'm Head of Entrepreneurial Skills at the Entrepreneurship Institute at King's College London. The Entrepreneurship Institute is King's dedicated hub to innovation and entrepreneurship. And today I'm joined by Ismail Jalani, who's the founder and CEO of Scoodle. So welcome, Ismail.
1: Hey, thanks a lot for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. So... We're back at the time of a new cohort applying for King's 20, so we thought it's a really good opportunity to talk to one of our esteemed alumni about your uh, experience, your journey through entrepreneurship, and some words of wisdom for the people that are going through it this year. So I wondered if, right, straight off the bat, you could give people a little introduction to you and Scoodle and the background to your company.
1: Sure. My name is Ishmael. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Scoodle. We're building a platform that aims to create educator superstars. And the way that it works is super simple. Teachers sign up and create profiles and then they can brand themselves by sharing content. So they can answer questions, share learning resources, upload videos, things like that. And if students and parents really like what they see, they can book lessons directly with these educators or subscribe to some of their premium content. And you can almost imagine it as a Patreon for the education world. The idea first came about on this kind of core thesis that everybody has something that they want to learn and, and something that they can teach. And funnily enough, my time at King's, uh, I didn't take out a student loan to pay for my degree. Instead, I built my first business teaching economics. And I remember the first class that I set up, nobody knew who I was, so hardly anybody turned up. But you know, the fifth, 10th, 20th class, they became a lot easier because people began to you know, recognize me as somebody that can teach economics. And that notion of educator branding has always existed for as long as I can remember. It's just been small scale. So whenever I speak to anybody about their favorite teachers in their lives, it's always smiles on your face. And you can remember the impact that they had on your life and all of those amazing things. But usually that kind of fame or recognition is a you know one or two mile radius. Beyond that, nobody knows who you're speaking about. And that's exactly what we wanted to change. So The way that I think about our future, it's, you know, being able to create the Kim Kardashians of the education world, like these superstar educators with millions of followers. And we've taken quite a few uh, interesting steps to help us get there. The fact that we have quite a bit of content allows us to reach an audience in a pretty scalable way because we have content that doesn't actually exist elsewhere on the Internet because teachers and educators aren't the types of people to just share stuff online. And we're beginning to change that. And of course, as I'm sure you can imagine, COVID has helped accelerate that quite a bit. So between March of 2020, and now we've, you know, 809x the number of total users every month on our platform. And that's something that's continuing to grow.
0: Amazing. So actually, for you in the first instance, it was a model that you created for yourself to finance your degree. And now it's kind of scaling big time. How did you figure out whether it was something that was scalable in the way that you're talking about?
1: I think when you first start something that is aimed at solving a personal problem, that isn't usually your primary concern. Uh, you're, You're trying to solve something else. And it just happens to be the case that that problem that you are solving tends to affect a lot more people than just yourself. So our approach initially wasn't you know let's think of a billion dollar business idea i wonder what market is big enough and i wonder how to get there but it was actually a lot more of a this is a problem that i'm facing i think this can solve it i wonder if that would work huh So it does. I wonder how many other people are facing this problem. Ideally, though, you're going to go through that process as quickly as possible. You don't want to spend, you know, two or three years solving it for one person. You can actually do that within the space of a month or two. And then from that point onwards, you can begin to think about expanding to larger markets. And when it comes to fundraising, you then start to have a broader look of where the market is going, how the market is growing and how you fit into that changing world as well.
0: So how long did did that literally take you a month or two to figure that out? What was the kind of process for you in the early stages?
1: So it depends on how you think of the start. And I'm pretty sure you've heard the the statement of, you know, it takes seven years to build the overnight success or whatever the numbers were, right? In reality, the, the first step to what Scudo was today was me sending out a WhatsApp broadcast to people that I knew and, you know, my younger sister and my cousin who, were studying A-level economics and getting them to broadcast my message. That was step number one. That's when I realized like, hey, this is an actual pain point for students at large. And the fact that it got to the level where you know it could cover, and this was you know the 9K tuition fees, it got to the level where it could cover the entire degree. It's like, hey, this is something that has legs. And then the question is, how big do you want this to, to become? And that's when you start having conversations with potential co-founders and potential investors, because you realize that, if this works for you and you know that the market is huge and changing, you can hazard a guess that by putting the effort and the resources to get it to scale, it can, and this is a whole exponential growth thing. Exponential growth is not something that is intuitive, naturally. Like people don't think that things can grow that quickly, but you want to at least make your initial steps to hopefully allow that to happen.
0: So I'm interested in, flipping it around the other way with scoodle and because you've talked about it kind of as a you stumbled into it a little bit and thought actually this is something that can scale if you were to talk about scoodle now what problem does scoodle solve within education because i imagine there's a there's a lack or a gap or a problem that exists purely within education that you are filling right what how would you describe the problem that scoodle solves
1: everybody has something that they want to learn and something that they can teach they just don't know one another. And, and that gap is where we exist and where we expect to continue to exist. Because finding the right person at the right time for the exact problem that you're facing is often quite challenging and quite difficult. When you look at you know how people go about doing that now, you'd probably maybe make a, a, a Google search or uh, or something of the like, and you, you try and navigate around. And when, you, when it comes to finding tutors, just as an example, in other platforms, you tend to find ranking based on location maybe education maybe availability or something like that it's very kind of high level broad stuff whereas in reality you want something slightly more tailored to you and your needs and the power for us in terms of content especially with you the questions that teachers have answered the resources that they share the videos that they create we can start using that information to make recommendations because if a teacher is sharing tons of GCSE math resources, which are being viewed thousands and thousands of times, we know that this person's probably pretty good at GCSE maths, And so we can make that very specific recommendation. And then you can start taking into consideration location, for example, because somebody great in London may not be as good in Edinburgh or in Paris or in Mombasa or wherever else you want to introduce. And it's this richness of data that allows us to make that connection that much more meaningful.
0: Mm, That's really interesting. So at what point in your early journey did you start to think about potential accelerators, incubators, or support for the idea beyond covering your own tuition fees at uni?
1: Out of university, I went to work for Google in, in marketing. And there came a point where, you know, Scooter was this, this thing that I was doing on the side with my co-founders, just as like an enjoyable project, because, you know, you watch Silicon Valley and you watch the social network. It's like, hey, this is, this is the next big thing. And there came a point where if we wanted this to be serious and real, we had to take this to another level. It can't just be a thing that you try and find time for in the evenings and on weekends. And it wouldn't have been possible without my co-founders being there to begin with, because they were the ones that built the foundation of the product. They were the ones that wrote all of the lines of code. And that was essential to the existence of the company. And so when I think about the, the kind of turning point, it was exactly that where, With a big corporation, your your learning curve is usually not uh, exponential, it's linear, and it tends to flatline after a certain while. Whereas the impact that you can have with a company of your own, especially one that you know is solving a meaningful problem, is exponentially greater and more impactful than any corporation. And this isn't to take away from the incredible experiences that you get from a lot of these larger companies it's just it's a different type of thing that you're going for and i'm still grateful to my time there because right out of university after kind of uh moving on from google they helped us with a demo day Uh, you know the ex-google network and we pitched there and that began to give us a network that we never grew up with we never had access to this whole investor world was something that was completely new to us so for us it was the commitment to go from time came before the expectation to have kind of any money in the bank from investment or anything like that. It was actually more about for this to work, we have to go from time. So let's take that step first and then figure out from there what we need to do to continue to excel and hopefully succeed with what we were doing.
0: So was it at that point where you started like looking for what other support was out there that you could kind of join a community?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So once the commitment was there to go full time, there then became a question of what do we need to uh, hopefully you know, give us a, a big boost and uh, increase our chances of hopefully making this something that's incredibly impactful. And so when we looked at you know the the different options that were available, one immediate thing that stood out was getting into the mindset of working as a team. And office spaces comes very quickly. On the back of that, sounds kind of strange saying this because nobody's been in an office for so long, but these were the considerations at the start. And you also realize very quickly that offices in central London are very expensive. Uh, And so the the one amazing standout feature, I think with with Kings 20, for example, is being at the heart of London uh, in the way that the offices were, that makes such a huge difference, not just in terms of morale, but in terms of access to talent. Because, you know, I live in North London. I don't think I'm going to convince somebody to come from the depths of South London to travel an hour and a half to, you know, work in, in this part of the world. It's, it's difficult. Whereas when you're central like that, the world is connected to you. And that's a very powerful thing. So that was one of the first big standout features. The second, and I think this is probably an underrated or an under, uh, a misunderstood benefit, or under understood, whatever the word is, But it's the impact of a network of other founders. And I didn't know this at the start because, you know, you're building your own company, right? So you just want everything to help you in the way that you think you need help. But unknown unknowns is one of the downfalls of, you know, human beings. The support that you can get from people that are like-minded and equally driven and smart and talented can be so so powerful so having a network of other founders will give you access to things like legal advice because they probably raised six months before you did so they can recommend a lawyer to you. or maybe they have figured out facebook marketing really well and you haven't well you can have that initial conversation with them and they can make that introduction and this network of kind of warm introductions to investors and warm introductions to potential people to hire all of that stuff comes out of your immediate network. And unless you come from a world of founders and VCs and investors, it's very difficult to build that on your own. And for me, one of the standout things that comes out of an accelerator like Kings20 is it increases your access to all of that in the space of not even like the year that you're there, it's like the first month or two. Uh, And then it's obviously onto you to make sure that you maintain that and you extract value. And that's a separate discussion, right? But the the benefit comes out almost right away because you're immediately with 20 other companies that's you know 25 30 35 40 founders that are now in your network and that's something that you know you can't really put a price on
0: yeah totally so obviously you joined the kings 22 year, two years ago now time flies so what when you look back on your experience of king is that the thing that stands out to you the most the kind of community that you were with
1: yeah. I mean, for me, there are usually two things which I can actually summarize into one thing, which is networks. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the word because it sounds quite kind of slimy and you know, you, you're in it to, to try and weasel your way through to get something. But when I say network, what I mean is a community of smart people that can be helpful at some point in life. And that's it. Uh, and y- your pathway isn't to try and find out where they can be helpful. I think anybody that does that is misunderstanding what it means to build a meaningful network. Just be in good terms with smart people. Uh, That is the most valuable thing I think you can get out of any program, because you'll be surprised where it takes you in one, three, five, 10 years. Because even if whoever it is that you're building a relationship with isn't in your space. We're not in education. Uh, we are on good terms with people that built, you know, e-commerce startups or deep tech startups. I have nothing to do with education, but it's not the point. The point is to just be on good terms with smart people. And that in and of itself is the best possible outcome that you can get.
0: How did you find the application process for Kings 20?
1: I thought it was okay. I don't remember the answers that I wrote but I remember making the video and I remember making it on my bed and I'm saying this maybe because it's uh, it's one of those things where if somebody wants to apply to King's 20 and they think that the video needs to be incredibly produced unless things have changed and I don't know about this absolutely um, not <laughs> if not feel free to scrap this out of the the entire podcast but from my understanding it's just grab a camera record yourself and say good stuff. I mean, I assumed what I said was good. Uh, maybe it wasn't, but the person who watched it missed it out. But it, that part is I is something that I remember. And I think it's probably one of the more meaningful parts of the application process. Again, this is my understanding from the outside. So uh, feel free to correct or share additional thoughts on that. But it gives the person watching and listening a chance to get to know you a little bit better than, you know, just reading text because your personality doesn't necessarily come across nor does your passion nor does your uh, enthusiasm or you know your team if you're recording a video with your co-founders all of that tends to come out pretty well in the space of a one to three minute video and chances are if your written answers are hmm i don't know but your video is really good you're probably going to be edged towards an interview or i think you would be anyway
0: Yeah, I can definitely confirm it's exactly the same. Actually, we would prefer you not to have a fancy video and to just talk to us as one human telling another human what you're passionate about and why you care about solving this particular problem is exactly, as you say, it's just us getting to know the person behind the answers a little bit more so that we can make make the best decisions possible about who comes forward to interview. Do you you remember your interview?
1: I do, I do. Um, I don't remember the names of the people that interviewed me. But I remember the process. The thing is, that at the time of the interview, we were like in the midst of trying to raise some money. And because of that, the entire process of you know the types of questions that would have been asked, it was like I had it, you know, because I've been doing it so many times, speaking to different investors. So, you know, what problem are you solving? How big is your market? What's your traction like? Tell us about your team. All of that stuff I had done so many times pre the interview in and of itself. And I think that hopefully kind of helped us get a good understanding of what worked well and what we needed to have an improvement on. Because I remember, you know, with some investor conversations, on the back of some answers, we ended up getting a lot more questioning. So Mm -hmm. revenue was one of those examples where I wouldn't speak about it as much in our summary pitch. And so I'd get a lot of questions from investors. So I made an effort to include that in how I, communicated what Scoodle was and how we hope to uh, grow and scale so with that in mind we were in the fortunate position of having a lot of uh, interview like scenarios uh, not just from Kings 20 but also from uh, the different investors that we were speaking to before that as well.
0: You're two years out from the end of your Kings 20 experience so what, what's happened for Scoodle since joining Kings 20?
1: Trying to think of when two years out. So uh, (laughs) mid-2019 was two years ago. So we're now on 60,000 monthly active users. Our educators have earned over £100,000 in payouts. We have a team now of eight people, which is hopefully going to be nine very, very soon. And we've since raised, I believe, two rounds of funding on the back of the, the funding that we'd raised prior to that as well.
0: Awesome. How have you dealt with a world pandemic?
1: How have I dealt with the pandemic? Hmm. I think if there was like a curve, it would have been, oh my God, the world is going crazy. How can we work without an office to, hey, this thing is pretty good. You save so much time, like it's going up. And then it's like, damn it, there are no human beings around me. How do I cope with this? And then now it's kind of plateauing into this, you know what? we're used to it now it's, it's kind of working but I'm sure when things get back to normal we'll have a hybrid of working in the office a little bit and work with our colleagues on a kind of work from home basis because the productivity thing is real but there's a value of human connection that I think is still kind of somewhat missing from a pure working from home environment but that hybrid is where I think we're going to uh, to go towards.
0: Have you seen an increase in demand for Scoodle given working and homeschooling and all of that stuff? Has that actually benefited you as a company?
1: Yeah. I mean, March 2020, we had, I believe, seven and a half thousand monthly active users. Now we have 60,000. Most of that has come organically from the uh, content that we build up on our platform. So that is, I think, a signal of the uptake and interest in online learning. And we expect, we're expecting that to continue to grow. I mean, when you look at what the government is announcing now, how schools are operating, not only have they made a massive effort to push things online, even though things are going, quote unquote, back to normal now, they are pushing another massive effort to ensure that the students that missed out on some aspects of learning get the opportunity to catch up. You know, they're exploring things like summer schools and after school classes Parents are equally as concerned, and so they are also supplementing their kids' learning with with things like this. And I think that's perfectly placed for Scoodle to have an impact in a world where, you know, things like Scoodle should actually exist.
0: So if we go into the future a bit, what is Scoodle in, like, five years' time?
1: A bunch of Kim Kardashians, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The the way that I think about it... It's a
0: scary prospect, uh... I'm just going (laughs) to (laughs) say.
1: (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the reach is, is the thing that I want to, to emphasize the most here. It's We're not just trying to build a pure transactional marketplace where the thing that you're paying for or that you're learning from is math, the subject, or science, the subject. It's Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so that's who you're buying yourself into because you know that those people are amazing and when you click into their profiles you can see that they've helped hundreds of thousands of people and you can see the resources that they've made and you can see that they've made some incredible videos as well all of that sits onto their profile and that's the reason why you want to continue with these individuals it's trying to shift away from the world that perceives educators as I don't know how to kind of phrase this, but it's it's almost perceiving educators as things that you can just purchase at the click of a button where the human being and the person doesn't stand out as much as the qualification. Whereas in reality, you know, the reason why I I use Kim Kardashian as the uh, extreme example is that you look at content creators and, and the world of content creation. Chances are the first time you discover a video, you're probably going to be searching for a problem, right? You want to buy something, you look up the reviews. And you find people that you really like that tend to talk about these things that you're really interested in. Next time around, you know you subscribe to that person and then give it a few more weeks. You watch a video because that person made that video. If anybody else was to make content like that, you probably wouldn't care as much, but the person is what you're buying into. Education has that. It just has that on a small level. We want to take that and make it huge where people start buying into the educators first. And then they realize from that, that the content that they're making is an amazing thing in and of itself rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's a good vision. So I've got a couple of questions for you. For the people that are thinking about accelerators, they have an idea, they are starting to validate that, figure out whether they're onto something and are trying to decide whether they should just throw their hat in the ring, the King's 20 or not. What would you say to those people?
1: I'd say the worst thing that can happen is that your life stays the same, which means nothing's really going to change. So you may as well do it. (laughs) Because that's the way that I think about it in terms of opportunity costs. You lose half an hour, maybe 45 minutes of an application. And one of the good things about the application forms that come out of accelerator programs is that it forces you to formulate your business and to structure it in some coherent form. And maybe it's the first time that you're doing that. And that alone could be somewhat beneficial for you. If you don't make it this time around, ask for feedback, see what they say. And maybe from that, if you progress from one application to the next, you can actually increase the chances of you making it through. So my thing would be to just apply because the worst case scenario is that nothing changes. And the best case is that you get access to a whole network of services and people that can be really helpful to the development of your business
0: and then for the people that have decided, yeah this is something that i want to do and are thinking about what they need to write in their application and how to represent their business idea what advice would you give to those people
1: i would email you and i would say hey uh, <laughs> could i get some example applications you may say no so like, oh, yeah, that's fine um can you give me an idea of the types of things that you're looking for And I would base my structure and answers around what I get as a response from that.
0: Interesting. Is that what you did? Did you get in touch with the Entrepreneurship Institute?
1: I can't remember, to be honest. I think I may have spoken to Ed at the time briefly beforehand, but not in kind of great depth. But again, the the position that we were in, because we'd, we'd done a few applications as well, the questions that are asked tend to overlap. And so we could kind of move things around to help us formulate that a little bit better as well, which is, I guess, another potential recommendation, which is, you know, the, the whenever you do apply for anything to do with your startup, save your answers because you can reuse them a lot and it saves tons of time. The first two or three times that you do it, it can be very cumbersome and tiring, but once that's done, if you've got that stored somewhere, it's actually very valuable to use it in different aspects of, you know, your entrepreneurship journey.
0: I think that's quite interesting because I have quite a few people say that to me. Of like, I'm not allowed to ask you because you might be doing shortlisting. And I'm like, who told you you couldn't ask me? (laughs) Um, If you like if you take the initiative to ask, you'll probably get some more valuable information. And I think we have obviously um, support mechanisms set up at the Entrepreneurship Institute, especially for that process. You know, you can come and talk to a member of the team and get that insight. So I would agree with your uh, recommendation of use the team and the resources And be cheeky. Ask questions that you think you might not get an answer to because you might get something. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. If you don't ask, you don't get. (laughs) Um, Cool. I would like to know if people are interested in Scoodle and would like to get involved, see some content, maybe find a tutor, how do they do that? Where's the best place to find you and Scoodle?
1: Check us out on our website, which is scoodle.co.uk or uh, check us out on the Play Store and App Store. Just search Scoodle and you'll find
0: us there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting to you. And I hope that Scoodle ends up being the platform that unleashes multiple Kim Kardashians of education (laughs) on the world.
1: (laughs) I can't wait. Thanks a lot.
0: (laughs) Cheers. Thanks. To find out more about the Entrepreneurship Institute, visit www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash entrepreneurship.